hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Paul Bestow. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 150. 150. Can you believe it, Paul? Woo. Woo, indeed. <laughs> it's very exciting. It's very exciting. So exciting. My voice is so many. I'll finish the thing. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. Paul, how are you? I'm very well. I, I, it's one of those things. I think I would have, this will be my 50th appearance then. 51st. Mm. Mind you, I had, I had to skip an episode with COVID, didn't I? Oh yeah, 50. Okay, 50. Well, that's great. There we go. Excellent. Excellent. Fantastic. I'll give myself a, a gold star. I give out the gold stars, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Speak to you, my manager. That's right. You will fill out the form. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you and your forms. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, folks, I, folks, I've been sick for the better part of a week, so I am happy to not be sick and uh, back on the microphone with this beautiful madman. But, um, <laughs> Paul, you, you're a celebrity now, so, so t tell us, <laughs> tell us about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I went to, uh, we had a, uh, Hammer Horror special screening at my local art house cinema here in Sheffield, uh, the beautiful Abidale Picture House, which is a Art Deco restoration. It's currently being refurbished dramatically. So we were in the Fly Tower, which is the secondary part to it. And uh, we were watching a double bill of Plague of the Zombies and then the legendary The Devil's Rides Out interceded, interceded, interjected with a brief collection of ye olde adverts offering a variety of alcoholic beverages from the past. The wonderful martini advert. It's the right time. It's the light time. That's martini. So that always gets you in the mood, doesn't it? I'm going to remember that because that's my, that's my mom's family name is martini. <laughs> so I'm going to send that to them. They are going to appreciate that and I'll never hear the end of it. Yes. It's the drink of, it's the, how I like to show people when I'm on a drinking session that I just don't give a shit what you think, because I'll order a Martini Rosso and lemonade and I don't care. <laughs> I have so many questions, but we must move forward. So, <laughs> so, uh, so yes. And uh, as before the film started, a, uh, a young lady said, excuse me, is your name Paul? Which always makes me worry. Um, <laughs> and then. Paul Bessel, I said, yes. She said, oh, I, I, I listened to the ghost story, guys. And uh, it was a very nice lady called Fiona, who was wearing a wonderfully spooky jumper with some ghosts on. Had a quick chat, watched the films, and then she, uh, she rather bl blushingly made me, that's me blushing, not her, asked me to if, if she could have a picture with me at the end, which, uh, which my partner found hilarious. <laughs> I loved it. I saw the picture on her Facebook and immediately stole it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Here's Paul who's not shaved for a week. <laughs> that, that, when you told me that before you going on air, that just made my day. I was going to be sat in the dark for four hours. <laughs> Came in, had a drink of pop and a bag of crisps and some Harry Bows. 
and then I go home. I didn't expect anybody to know who I was. That's amazing. <laughs> well, for, for my part, nothing quite so interesting. As I said, I spent uh, the last since mm, I guess since Sunday, I've been I, I spent in bed. Thursday now, so I'm moving around, uh, moving around more, thankfully. Um, but uh, prior to that, it was it actually had some interesting stuff happen. I was catching up with an old friend of mine, and uh, yeah, how can I put this? So, as you know, yo, of course you know, you recently had the folklorist Joe Hickey Hall on your show, mm-hmm. and she hosts the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast. Now, of course, our listeners know that I have a storied history with the good folk, and and it generally it has involved me being a dipshit and then paying the price. So. <laughs> I have tried to not do that anymore because, you know, it's disrespectful. It's stupid. And, uh, I'm no longer in the position where I need to like hold my hand over the fire to make sure it's hot. I know it's hot. <laughs> so I, I started listening to the modern fairy sightings podcast and I've really been enjoying it. I've been catching up with the back catalog, but since I started doing that, I've noticed there have been some, a lot more. It just seems like it, it you know, you start looking at this stuff more. And so it starts coming your way more. Hmm. And so I was chatting with a friend of mine, uh, who I hadn't spoken with since coming out to Montreal. And as I was sitting in my room, looking across the street at the construction, which is, um, sort of in a mixed use apartment building and office tower that's going up, I noticed what looked like a green light in one of the windows. Of course the tower is unfinished. So the only person who would be in there, I assume would be a security person. So I, I didn't think much of it, but then I was, I noticed it was seemed to be pulsing. And so I assumed it was uh, like an alarm of some kind on a wall. So I really dialed into it <laughs> and I started looking at it and then it started moving around. The screen light started moving around in the window and I thought, well, what's, what's happening here? And is that a flashlight? Am I seeing someone's flashlight? Cause that's kind of what it looked like. Someone had a flashlight and they were sort of rotating it. Hmm. And I thought, well, that's what the fuck is a green flashlight? That's weird. Perhaps okay. it's the fairy alarm. Well, you know, I'm not saying it was, but I'm just saying it, 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 the strangest thing was, again, I thought, okay, this is, this is a security guard, but as, cause I, I saw movement and I thought, oh, that's a security guard leaving the room. So I, again, the rest of that bit, part of the building is open. They haven't closed it yet or they hadn't at that point. So I kept waiting for them to come out. And it was the strangest thing because I kept seeing the movement, but never the person, which I, I don't it's hard to, it's hard to understand, but it's, it's like, again, I, I kept seeing like something moving, but my eye could never settle on what the something moving was. Hmm. It's like it was moving from pillar to pillar in this concrete building. And again, in, in my full, you know, relatively in my full view, and, but I, I never saw it. And then, but the, as soon as that started happening, the green light was gone. How strange. It was very strange. And, and then as my friend and I were catching up, they began to tell me about some things that have been happening to them and to their partner. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like all of a sudden these things come at once. So I was, we were, you know, we, they, we were chatting and they mentioned that their partner one night had gotten up to use the bathroom, was coming back into the bedroom, probably about one, two in the morning, stopped briefly to look in the mirror. And now, of course, you know, spooky, spooky logic is, says, oh, something happened in the mirror, but no, they checked their hair in the mirror. They turned. And as they turned, an old woman rushed at them. Oh uh, yeah. Out of nowhere, just rushed at them. And then she was gone. So what? 
at, towards them out of the mirror or behind them? No, they, they, they looked in the mirror and then they turned away from the mirror back to, so to walk towards the bed. And it was after they looked away from the mirror that all of a sudden there was this old woman standing there hmm. and she rushed, she rushed this person. And then as soon as she got close, yeah, she wasn't there anymore. Wow. So that's, that's one thing. But then my friend, they went to bed one night and they tend to go to bed a little bit later uh, because of their work. And mm -hmm. so their partner was in bed and my friend walked into their bedroom and they said that the only light in the room was from their flashlight on their phone. They didn't want to turn on the light because they didn't want to wake up their partner. Mm. And in the light of the phone, they saw a black mass floating above their partner in the bed. Ooh. Maybe a foot above them. I want to say something like that. I can't remember the specifics. Yeah. But yeah. And it seemed like as soon as they observed it, after a couple more seconds, it was gone. And I think that's interesting because, you know, my first thought, because I've had this happen with my phone flashlight, where I'll cast a shadow that I wasn't, I wasn't aware I was casting mm -hmm. and nearly fill my drawers because, you know, I've scared <laughs> myself. But <laughs> this, this wasn't that. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. And so again, a lot of, a lot of odd, I didn't say a lot, but more than usual, more than usual, a couple, you know, little, little things here and there. Then just as we were getting ready to go to air, I was listening to the most recent episode of the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast, mm. which have you heard of the, about the, the painting? No, not yet. I've not had a chance. Of it's course. It's very, very right. hard to fit things in between four games a day, Brennan. Uh, I keep forgetting it's four games a day. The World Cup is on, folks. Woo! Yes, but Paul actually got me watching it, which is an achievement. Yeah, see, you've, you've started feeling better since you've begun to watch it. There's, there's a clear correlation there. So, <laughs> listening to the Modern Fairy Settings podcast, most recent episode, which I encourage you folks to listen to. It's a really good show. Mm. It's about a, a, a painting and some little figures. And typically, a lot of the stories that I've been hearing involve these tiny figures, similar to the ones we've told on this show, but people have been seeing them come out of closets or holes in the wall, these little humanoid figures. Well, I had a message from Rachel from Hexagram and it was a Twitter thread. And the person is, uh, they call themselves Megalith. Their handle is psychic underscore driving. And this is a story. My grandmother in the middle period of her dementia saw little children in full winter clothes and quote, black holes for faces scurrying silently through her house. In the last days before we had to move her into a home, she showed me a tiny little pile of winter boots in a closet. Pardon me, a little pile of tiny winter boots in a closet. They belonged to my father and aunt when they were very young. I found out after she died a few years ago, totally gone, that those boots were supposed to be in the attic. A tiny space only accessible via a rickety ladder, and my grandmother could barely go up the stairs. My father and aunt refused to talk about this. It's the only thing they agree on. Very strange, very interesting timing, as always. Mm. Well, I, I've had a couple of messages since Joe was on my show from listeners who have also had encounters with gnomes as children. Really? Mm. So I'm, I'm glad to know I wasn't the only one that had a very strange experience as a child. One was quite similar to mine, but different as well, if that makes sense. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, folks, go, go check out, uh, go check out the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast. I'll put a link in the show notes. I'll also link to the episode of Mysteries and Monsters that Joe is on. 
And uh, you'll also get to hear Paul tell his, I mean, Paul's told the story on here as well, but you can hear it, uh, you can hear it on that show. And I do encourage you to listen to both those things because it's a strange world out there. And uh, I think, you know, one of the, I actually had a brief correspondence with Joe and I, one of the things I said is I really appreciated her, her show because I think it's helping break down some of the fear stigma around the topic that, you know, even myself that I had. So I thought that was very, very cool. As for this show, we have a great show. It's since it's 150, we decided to do something special and we actually have a two part episode for you. So you're going to have a full length episode today. And then two weeks from now, you're going to have another second full length episode about dreams. Dreams are one of our most requested topics. This is something that, that I love talking about. And we have on this episode, a combination of founder stories and listener stories, all about prophetic dreams or uh, dream, well, d- significant dreams you'll, you'll hear, but there is some truly fascinating stuff. And again, we got two full shows worth of dream stuff lined up for you and I cannot wait to get to it. But before we do, we have to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are the ridiculously, obviously dive to the ground to our Brazilian football club. <laughs> And that is to say, you are a huge part of our success. And of course, we'd like to thank all that. I learned that today from Paul. So there we go. <laughs> well, uh, you've, you've edited the swear words there, yes. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I insert enough of those as it is, I figure. Losing <laughs> one or two won't hurt. <laughs> and of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons. But right now, we're going to thank our latest patrons. They are... Micah May. Max Douglas. Michelle Uris, Stone Sticks, Joe Nelson, Lyrium Crow, Incognicat, Tracy Walsh, Claire Tarrant, and Jared Rodriguez. Guys, thank you so, so, so much. Again, we can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Every single person who listens to the Ghost Story Guys, you help make us who we are. But patrons are the ones who truly allow the show to continue. And I just don't know how to thank you. But thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our terrible, terrible hearts. And we'll wait till the end of the show to tell you about all the cool shit you can get. But for now, we will say, for a dollar a month, you get an ad-free feed. And I know the ads have changed a little bit. Sometimes you don't get them at all. Sometimes you do. That's part of the new platform we're on. Which is Connected Podcasts, by the way. I forgot to mention that. We're now part of the Connected Podcasts Network. But anyways, if you want, uh, we'll talk more about that in the C segment. But if you want an ad-free feed, for a dollar a month, you can get exactly that. Just head to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. All right. So we're going to take a quick break here, but before we do shout out to our composer, rainy days for ghosts, rainy days for ghosts is a project of film journalist and composer, Jerry Smith. We've mentioned on past episodes that Jerry's picked up a couple features recently. He's recently scored for full moon, the puppet master film, Dr. Death, which is now available via the full moon app and the just released, or I believe will be out by the time this comes out. Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bolorama 2, which is a sequel to a, a sort of a, I guess you'd call it a classic of the <laughs> genre from the 80s, of a sort, of a sort. And yeah, so Jerry has scored both of those. And if you want to hear his work and watch the films, you can get both of those via the Full Moon app. And if you want to hire Jerry for your next project, shoot them an email at rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. All right. Now, time for that quick break. And then we'll be right back with some dreams. 
As we said before the break on this episode, we're going to be revisiting one of our most requested topics, and that is dreams. But before we do that, we got some email. So let's get to it. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. All right. So our first message here is from Matt. Matt says, hey, fellows, longtime listener, longtime IG meme DMer. It's true. He is. First time writer. I'm listening to the latest episode and the bit about clicking and why one doesn't hear about the phenomenon much anymore. And of course, that is from the last episode, which was, oh, that, missing time. That was the, the mystery of missing time. And Matt says, it may be that our environments have become more noisy. What's a, what's a click to a ping or a playlist or a smart fridge telling you to buy milk? It's when the power goes out that one realizes just how much noise is around us. Knocks in this pandemic era may be more alarming. I found myself rattled recently when I heard a knock at the door. I thought, who the hell comes calling at home anymore? <laughs> Cheers. Keep up the good work, Matt. And thanks, Matt. Yeah, you make a great point. I, I think that goes for a lot of this phenomenon. To be honest, I think we just don't notice everything that's going on around us. What do you think, Paul? There's, there's several people who suggest that's why poltergeist cases aren't as often reported these days because homes are extremely noisy, whereas in the old days, you had the wireless and that was it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I'll hear knocking in here sometimes and I just assume, well, it's, you know, one of my roommates dicking around doing whatever the hell it is they do or someone next door, you know, I don't know, smoking weed out of an apple. I just assume <laughs> like that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's my one roommate cooking shit that always smokes out the entire apartment and makes us all cough. And why not? Why not? Indeed. It's, he seems to know what he's doing. It's, it's, he's apparently a good cook. It, it just, it, it is, it is a challenge. It is a challenge on the nasal passages. Um, we actually had someone else write who said that termites make a clicking noise. And so the story that we t told about the person on the couch who heard the clicking noises all around them could possibly be termites. Doesn't explain the missing time, but you know, maybe the termites are in cahoots with the aliens. Mm, maybe the aliens are giant termites. Ooh, I don't like that. Hmm. Oh, sleep well, everybody. All right. <laughs> Our next email is from Corey. And Corey says, Big fan. Started listening around episode 39. I live in Wabush, Labrador. If I, had, if I never had to adult, I would love to catch a Habs game. Is that some kind of Canadian-only sport, Ren? <laughs> the, the Habs of the Montreal Canadiens. It's a hockey team. Oh, it's all right. As soon as you said who they were, I appreciated that strange game that very few countries play. Uh, a Habs game in Montreal <laughs> and possibly treat you to a coffee. I have a couple really cool things I can share, like the ghosts that have been seen on the Goose Bay Air Base back in the American days. Labrador itself has some amazing ghost stories. Well, being a Newfoundlander, are you aware of the tradition of telling ghost sorrows on Christmas Eve? Yep, it's a thing. Well, keep being awesome. Man, I would love to meet up. I am truly a fan. Take care. Well, Corey, I am always up to meet up. So if you are in Montreal or should, I know you're not, but should you ever find your way here? I don't know if I can afford Habs tickets, but uh, at the very least, well, I'm always up for a beer. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Episode 39, man. That is a long time ago, Paul. Holy shit. Yes, it is. That's in the olden days. The very olden days. I actually, I was contacted recently, I can't remember her, her name, but I was contacted by someone who, who took some issues with something I said on an old episode and 
I just said, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I was being a dipshit. I'm sorry. And uh, there's there's a lot of that stuff on the older shows, which isn't to say I'm I'm going to issue a personal apology to every single person who emails me. But yeah, she she made a very specific point and she was very right. Uh, and I just, yeah, I shudder to think at some of the shit I used to say when I was younger, because you don't think that anyone's really listening, you know? And, uh, yeah, it turns out they were and they are, and I still can't quite get my head around that. <laughs> yes. It's the ghosts of episodes of past, isn't it? Oh, it really, really is. Our next one is from Alexis and Alexis, this is uh, from, again, from Instagram, Alexis says, just for the record, yellow and blue make green. And this is a reference to uh, Paul and I on the last episode where we were trying to figure out which colors it is make green. <laughs> we were talking, orange, was it red? No, it, it's yellow and blue. So thank mm. you very much, Alexis. So they say, where's that, the proof? That's, that's what they want you to believe. Absolutely. I'm not fooled by that. They'll be saying the face on Mars isn't real next. <laughs> or the doorway. <laughs> Don't believe what the woke media tells you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't talk like that. And if you do, you probably shouldn't listen to our show. <laughs> Buy gold. <laughs> and these supplements. <laughs> I'll never forget, man. The first the first and last time I ever listened to Joe Rogan's show, someone told me, oh, you got to listen to it. You got to listen to it. And I, I listened to it. And the first thing he said was, oh, man, I am so jet lagged. So I think he just come back from a UFC fight in Australia. And in the next breath, he was selling one of these bullshit brain supplements that cures jet lag. Well, if you're selling it, why do you have jet lag? (laughs) You idiot. Uh, Should have eaten some gold. There's something I'd like him to eat. (laughs) Jesus Christ. More edibles. No, he's had enough of those. He's had quite enough of those. Put him and Graham Hancock on a nice flow and push. No, I haven't before you ask. No. Why would you? And no, I won't. No, why, why, no I, I, I wouldn't ask. I know better. <laughs> There's so many things you could watch before you would watch that. I would never ask. Next up, Kathy says, The mystery of missing time. The message about hypnotized college students. Sounds to me like someone is running an experiment of some kind and keeping track of the results. I've heard campuses are a great place to get guinea pigs to try a new medication. I've heard that too, Kathy, but, but, um, those are typically things you opt into. The, the, they don't, uh, they're not in the habit of just randomly testing. I mean, they, well, they used to. Okay. But, um, you know, recently in recent years, they've backed off, uh, uh allegedly at least on, um, on trying out drugs on random people. Although we're going to get some chemtrails emails. So that's fine. <laughs> Get on the ice flow, guys. Get on that ice flow. Joe, move over. Make room. Always one of my favorite trends when it occasionally turns up on UK Twitter. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Who are these people? Have they never been outside and looked at the sky before? No. The answer is no. The other answer is there's still a lot of lead paint in the walls over in the UK. And it's contrails. Full of mind control chemicals, Paul. Come on. Get on (laughs) the ice flow with me. Maybe that's what they're dropping. They're dropping down chemicals that make people say chemtrails, not contrails. Yeah, so we're just back to the lead thing. It's just making people stupider. <laughs> we're going to need a bigger ice flow. Mm, 
well, there's going to be plenty of icebergs coming if things carry on in the way they are. That's a valid, cheery point. Let's move on. Yes. But going back to students being hypnotized, that's oddly very similar to that film we were discussing the other week that I stumbled across on Shudder. Remind me? Oh, what's it called? Um, it was supposed to be part of a trilogy and the third one never got made. Oh, of course. Uh, strange Invaders and Strange Behavior. Yes. Because that's that, isn't it? It is. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. Yeah, that's uh, really a fantastic movie, actually. I really enjoyed both those films. Criminally underrated and overlooked. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. If you're in uh, North America, they're both streaming on Arrow, I think. I don't think they're on Shutter here, but they're definitely on Arrow. And yeah, great movies. And so, I mean, it's, I guess it's possible. It's possible. And I know that was definitely mentioned in the comments on the, the initial posts was that, you know, maybe there's some kind of like hypnotic uh, suggestion experiment happening. And I mean, you can't rule it out, you know, for all my, for all my jokes, you can't, I guess you can't rule it out because these things have happened before. There's nothing to say it wouldn't happen again. I mean, if we learned anything from the pandemic, it's that, you know, the government doesn't really give a shit about you and that corporations will literally do anything to make more money. So, you know, it's, again, it's not impossible. And, um, yeah, Kathy, you make a great point. I've done it before. They'll probably do it again. All right. So that was cheering. Um, on, <laughs> Sorry about <yeah>. that. <laughs> it's the world we live in. Let's talk about fluffy rabbits. I mean, in fairness, we've never really been good at that. <laughs> what? Fluffy rabbits? Yeah. You know, just talking about cheery things. I don't know that it's necessarily been our brand. Oh, no. Jeff the talking mongoose. He's, he's quite a cheerful chap telling these That's rude true. jokes. Yeah. Jeff is good. Okay. There's the farting ghosts. Those are always great. Yeah, yeah. The uh, toilet flushing ghosts, they're always good. All right, so moving on. <laughs> what about that clip I sent you from that ghost show where that psychic went, and there's a there's a presence in the basement, <laughs> there's a presence in the basement telling us to fuck off. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, now that's my kind of ghost show. Yeah. So what happens? You go ghost hunting in Scotland. They'll just tell you to go away. All right. So we have one last piece of correspondence and this is from Mike. And again, Mike sent this to me over Instagram. Uh, if you do send us messages over Instagram, especially to the ghost story guys account, and I don't respond, please do not be offended. That account has exploded in popularity far beyond uh, what I was anticipating. And so it, it can be difficult to keep up with everything, but uh, it's, it's good. It's, it's very good for us. It, but, um, yeah, the algorithm likes us now, and so consequently keeping up with that correspondence is a challenge. Mike says, so the wife and I watched Exists, thanks to you and Paul. Solid movie. And of course, Exists is, is a Bigfoot film that is, is very good. About halfway through, we remembered we live on a bunch of acreage of wooded land. I'm not going outside for quite some time. The wife wouldn't even come out with me to take the dog out to pee before bed. <laughs> Brilliant. So... Yep. Mission accomplished. We have ruined the woods for yet another person, which I love. In fact, one of our patrons uh, was saying that uh, she sometimes listens, she often listens to our show while we're, she's out deep in the woods hiking. And she said, so I'm out there in the woods listening to you guys tell me to not be in the woods. And uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember, I can't remember your name off the top of my head, but that doesn't really, that, this, that's because I'm a soft city guy. You know, that's, that's primarily what that is. I mean, the woods are evil, but I guess if they, if they like you, you're fine. All right. So we have dreams to tell. So that's it for the mail. But if you want to send us something, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a way to do it. Stories, comments, questions, anything you got, we'd love to hear from you. 
And don't forget, you can also record your message. And a lot of people have been doing this. It's very cool. Record your story as a voice message and send it to us via email. Then we can play it on the show. Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to do a two-parter with dreams, but we will be having a straight up listener stories episode uh, pretty soon. So it might even be the Christmas show. I'm not totally sure yet, but we'll, we'll figure all that out. But for now, if you want to send us something, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a way to do it. And now on with the stories. The Fan. This is a story about how dreams saved my stupid ass life. I don't usually dream much, but one night a few years back, I remember having one where I was out drinking with my buddies Dale and John. At some point, I accidentally bumped into some jackass wearing a Steelers coat, who responded by grabbing my ear and twisting it. I managed to get his hand off my goddamn ear, then threw him to the ground just as his buddy pulled out a gun and shot me. There is this impact on my body, and I remember having no control as I just went down like a sack of potatoes. My buddy John is always packing, and one of the last things I remember before fading out was him shooting at both my attacker and his friend. I woke up in a cold sweat. A few weeks later, Dale, John, and I went out drinking here in Denver and somehow wound up in a new bar. I was still sober by this point, and that's a good thing, because a deja vu hit me right away. It was the same bar for my dream. I decided we were leaving before anything could happen. And as I did, I accidentally bumped into a guy who responded by grabbing my ear. I froze. Dude got right up in my face talking gangster, but I stayed calm. I told him to calm down. I'd buy us all around of shots, but he wasn't having it. He wanted to fight. I was desperate because deep down I knew how it would end if we did. So even though he wasn't wearing a Steelers jacket, I just threw a Hail Mary and said, Hey man, come on, you're a Steelers fan too, right? His face changed completely, and he looked totally surprised. Again, we live in Denver, so there was no way for me to guess that. And that's exactly what he said. How did you know about that? Now what did I do? Tell a half-drunk asshole I had a dream about him? No way. I told him we'd run into each other before and gotten drunk watching a Steelers-Ravens game. The guy shook his head, laughed, and said he must have been blacked out. He let me go and said he wanted to buy me a drink. After that, me, him, and his buddy kept lining up shots that he paid for. Because, according to him, only people who really know me know I like the Steelers. He said that made me legit. I didn't mention this before, but because John has a concealed carry permit and always carries, he doesn't drink. He goes out, but he doesn't drink. Finally, he came over to check on me. And Steelers guy Buddy sees the gun, pulls out his own nine, and they start talking guns crazy shit. A week later, I was watching TV and that same guy was in police custody for a gang shooting and the Steelers fan, who was also involved, was still at large. Man, Paul, there are so, so many, uh, I don't know, what, what's the word I'm looking for? So many uh, teachable moments there. <laughs> don't don't pick fights in nightclubs in America. That's, that's the first one. Yeah, I'd have been in big trouble there because I don't support either of their teams. <laughs> well, I tell you, if you have a dream about someone who shoots you and they're wearing that, they're wearing the, wearing the jacket, just lie. <laughs> just lie. Yeah. Probably be a Cowboys fan in my dream. 
Well, again, both, yeah, then they're t- Texas. Yeah, then they're definitely carrying. So <laughs> lie even harder. <laughs> I don't think any situation would make me say I was a Cowboys fan. <laughs> if I would just take the bullet, that I believe. That I believe. <laughs> Catch it in my teeth. <laughs> of course. I'm Ozymandias, <laughs> king of kings. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Well, and it's it, what's really interesting is like the symbolism, right? Because obviously, and we've talked about this on the show before, this idea that, you know, dreams seem to, in a lot of ways, and we're going to see this in another story we've got later, sometimes it's not one-to-one, but it's suggestive of something that's going to happen. And again, it's almost like you're you're picking up transmissions from a, from a, a signal that you can't all the way understand. Hmm. You know, so your brain tries to do what it can to put it together in a way that makes visual sense to you. So that guy may not even own a Steelers jacket, but your brain picked up Steelers important to this person and that's how it sort of put it together for you. And I, I do think we kind of forget how much of the world is just our brain trying to make shit make sense for us. Mm. It, it reminds me of, um, when I had a Mon Mazingo on large of the truth, when the, like the very first time he and I had a conversation, he told me a story that I don't think made it into the episode, but I, um, I ended up putting it into, it was a, it was a patron bonus. He had a situation with, I think it was his brother and Amon, you can correct me. I, I know you listen, uh, but they, I think they're in a nightclub in California and someone tried to start some shit and they just had this feeling like, no, no, we're not going to do that. And then later, so they, they just disengaged. But later, the same guy who was trying to start shit with them ended up shooting someone outside. Mm. So it, you know, this, I mean, this happens everywhere. And I, I, it just, I don't want to fight anyone anyways. I'm too old to be scrapping for fun. This, the, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? The, the, um, consequences, they're too high. I know what I'm risking, you know, because I, if I take a shot in the head or if I hit someone in the head and I fall down at my head or they fall down at their head, that's it. You know, that's just it. And it's just not worth some bullshit beef to try and prove something. We should all be lovers and not fighters. Exactly. Now I want to see that. <laughs> you want to step outside? I'm going to fuck the shit out of you, huh? <laughs> I, I actually, I, I was this one podcast host I listened to. He said he had a buddy, the way he would get out of fights and folks, this is a little bit, a little bit, a little bit raw. So I don't know if you have kids listening, maybe cover their ears, but, um, <laughs> the way he would get out of fights is a guy would just start getting, getting kind of aggro with him. And so this guy who's smaller, he's like, yeah, bring it, man. I'm going to suck your dick. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to fuck me like crazy. And the guys would just get weirded out and that, that would be it. <laughs> Another podcast host, he'll do this. He's a fat guy. And people get mad at him and he's, he'll screw something up and he'll pull up his shirt and he'll go, I'm sorry. Do you want some milky milky? And he'll just like <laughs> play with his man boobs. And again, it just diffuses the situation completely. I've already had one wash today. Now I feel <laughs> I need another. Ah, but this is, this is the brain. You cannot wash that. <laughs> I can try. Yeah, there we go. That's, that's what the sh- baby sham is for. <laughs> Ollie. When the dream started, I was 36 in real life, but maybe 20 in the dream. I could remember growing up, my childhood and all that. 
Pretty much everything was the same except that I went to college right out of high school instead of waiting. I was just fooling around doing the college thing. I was every bit as awkward in the dream as I am for real, but one of my friends basically wheedled me into going to a party. So I went to this really loud, really crowded house party and sat down on the end of this worn-out red couch. Not being antisocial as such, just trying to get through this experience and get back to my paper on ethics in my nice, quiet apartment. So I'm sitting there, and this guy comes and sits down next to me. He didn't seem to want to be there any more than I did. We talked about random shit for a couple of hours before deciding that our respective obligations to the friends who had brought us each year then promptly abandoned our awkward asses were fulfilled. We left separately, and I didn't see him again for a couple of weeks, and then only in the hall between classes. We smiled and waved at each other and moved along. And that was it for the rest of the semester. We'd see each other, acknowledge the other's existence, and keep going wherever we had been headed. The next semester, I had a core science class with him. Not knowing anyone else in the class, we sat together like you do. Partnering for class projects and whatnot. He was actually pretty funny. His name was Oleg, but everybody called him Ollie. He was an exchange student and felt really out of his depth in this new country. So we just started hanging out. I helped him with my culture, and he told me about his. This led to dating, then marriage. After graduation, we moved back to his home country, got jobs, built a house, had friends and a life, even had two kids. There were games and recitals, fights and laughter. Our daughter went to college for engineering. She had a gift for designing bridges of all things. She wore an orange sundress to our graduation. Our son married a sweet girl with blonde hair. We had grandkids, five of them. 37 years. I went to bed and woke up next to Ollie. Every day for 37 years. Then one night I went to bed as usual and woke up in a room it took me a full five minutes to recognise next to a man who looked familiar. My husband, my real husband, is used to my vivid dreams and just held me while I cried all over my lost imaginary family. For three solid days he responded to his own name and Ollie when I called for him. I never called him Ollie when I could see him, only when he was in another room or behind me. It took me almost a week to fully shake it. And whilst I enjoyed my dream life, I hope like hell it never happens again because losing it was hard. This one straight up broke me. I don't know how I'd be a, how a dream like that would affect me because it's just very... It, it's strange the emotional effect that these type of dreams seem to have on people than when you come across these dreams or these realizations of a fantasy life all in the in the confines of a night's sleep it would seem yeah i i mean i've had i had something similar to this that i've i've talked about on the show it never went all the way you know like i i didn't i don't remember everything like this person does but in the dream i stayed in revelstoke and i had kids in the house that my mom we grew up in hmm. and um interestingly you know you mentioned earlier a story that we're going to be talking about on part 2 and that involved, uh, the thing that eventually woke the person up was a discrepancy with a lamp. And interestingly enough, a lamp is the last thing I remember from that dream as well. Mm. Um, but I didn't have the emotional attachment this, that this person did. 
Um, I, I will say I, there was a dream to which I had a great deal of emotional attachment. And because my life is a, is a rolling cavalcade of, of just insanity, um, it was not a person. I had a dream where I had a best friend and he was an orangutan and I called him chimpy for some reason. <laughs> Chimpy was my friend and we did a lot of stuff together, me and Chimpy. And I remember, you know, the zookeeper would come looking for him and we would dress him up. And, you know, so there was one time we were at this outdoor table and the zookeeper, you know, he was looking for him and we ended up putting like a, a straw hat on him and big sunglasses and a Hawaiian <laughs> shirt. <laughs> and the guy never, guy never caught him. You know, me and Chimpy, we were, well, we were buddies and I was genuinely upset when I woke up and realized Chimpy is not real. And, and I was not a child. I was in my mid thirties when this happened. So, and I still get a little bit choked up sometimes when I think about Chimpy. Yeah. Hey, I'm not saying anything after that dream about me and Faruka Bolt. Oh, you and Faruka Bolt going Bigfoot hunting. Yeah. Well, That's over two years ago and I still remember that dream. Really? Yeah. I mean, not just the fact that it happened, but you remember the specifics of the dream. Yeah. Crazy. Interesting. Crazy. So, okay. Is this, is it a safe for work story? Can you tell us? Yeah. I, I had a dream that for some reason, me and Feruza were, were Bigfoot hunting pals and we went Bigfooting in the Pacific Northwest and we uncovered a skeleton of a Bigfoot and and we broke the news to the world and became famous and we had to do a press conference outside the smithsonian and talked about how we'd prove that bigfoot was real by finding this, this skeleton under a under a tree in <laughs> washington state and uh and we we became celebrated cryptozoologists i mean there's still time i've never dreamt about this woman in my life, even in the nineties. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I think I, that's my memory of her is the nineties. And I think she might've been in bad Lieutenant port of call, new Orleans, mm. but, uh, yeah, I, I love that. It's just came from nowhere. I'd not even seen, obviously her most famous role is the craft, but I'd not sure. even seen that for years. I'd not seen her on anything. She was not even at the periphery of my mind. <laughs> I like to think that somewhere out there, she dreamed about becoming a, a famous Bigfoot hunter with some bald Englishman. <laughs> Who knows? I know she does art, a lot of art and music these days, doesn't she? She doesn't act very often. Uh, you, you know more than I do. So, Well, because the dream shook me in a very strange way, I had to find out what she was up to. Well, not hunting for Bigfoot, but that can change. Feruza, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. <laughs> Let's make 2023 the year we do it. Find Bigfoot. Find Bigfoot. Let's be clear. <laughs> Finding Bigfoot with Feruza. There we go. Yeah. Just want to make sure we were very clear on what doing it meant. Yeah. Come, come at me, Discovery Channel. <laughs> I don't know. If Graham Hancock can get a Netflix show, I feel like you can get a Netflix show. Chimpy, if you're out there, I miss you, buddy. <laughs> Chimpy, if you're out there, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. The Errand. When I was seven, my older brother David was my hero, and when he moved away for college, it broke my heart. Whenever he came back, I would try to spend as much time with him as possible. Yes, I was very much the clingy younger brother. 
This is why when my mother and David went out to run some errands during one of his trips home, I really wanted to go with them. Not only did I want to go with them, I insisted, begged even, to tag along, and she kept telling me I had to stay home. This was very unusual, as she knew how crazy I was about my brother and encouraged us to spend time together whenever possible. Finally, she sat me down and said she had a bad feeling, and that bad feeling said I had to stay at home with the nanny. I wasn't happy about it, but accepted what she was saying and stopped asking. It was maybe 45 minutes after they left that the phone rang. My nanny answered it, and a moment later came in to see me in the kitchen. She told me that my mom and David had been in a severe car accident. I later learned they were rear-ended by a bus so hard they flew across an intersection and into a ditch. By some miracle, they were both okay, but the car was a write-off because the entire back seat, where I would have been sitting if I'd gone with them, was completely demolished. Had I gone with them that day, I'd have been crushed to death by the bus's impact. When I was older, my mom and I got to talking about the accident, and she told me something new. The night before her crash, she'd had a dream about her grandmother. In waking life, my grandmother was long gone, but in the dream she was there, telling her something terrible would happen if I got into the family car the next day. I've never been able to explain it. People will say I'm crazy when I tell them the story. And, I mean, that's... You know, that almost went into the uh, Glitch in the Matrix episode coming up. But mm. just that just, then the dream happened. And I thought, okay, well, this is, this is dream material. I think there are thousands of stories like this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think for the reason that, you know, people just, they, they dismiss them or they don't want to talk about them because it makes them uncomfortable. Well, I mean, you it's know? one of those things because it, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because when people act on a dream where a deceased relative comes to them and tells them that something awful will happen if they do something this particular way. And so they change it and just, and even though they say, well, it was just a dream, they change their behavior. Something bad happens, but not as bad as it could have been. And therefore they're then left with the realization, was it a dream? Was it something coming back to help me? Or was it just coincidence? And, yeah. you know, that's when you begin to think coincidence is just simply not effective as an explanation in that kind of thing. Because the chances of you having a dream about being in a severe car crash and then having one the very next day that's not your fault, I find very hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we have people sometimes ask, I think there was a Q&A question recently was, you know, what do you think about dreams where it seems like family are trying to talk to you? You know, do you think they're real? Do you think it's just a dream? And I think it's so hard to accept that there's more happening there because it, it just goes against everything we're taught. But I think there is a real possibility that that's what's happening. Like, um, like for instance, I wasn't, I was actually, I wasn't actually going to bring this up on the show, but whatever. I think it's, it's relevant. And my sister was okay with it when I asked her about it. So I, I, I know, I, I don't think I talked about this publicly. You know this, and I talked about it with the patrons. Mm. Um, but when I got back from LA this year, I was, I was back for about two days and we found out that my father had died. Now, my father and I were not close. We hadn't spoken for almost 20 years. Um, you know, addiction issues had just made it impossible for him to be a part of really anyone's life uh, because mm. he was just really fucked up. And uh, so we, he felt, we fell off each other's radars. And one morning, I think it was again, like uh, I got back from LA on Saturday, I want to say, and mm. it was Monday. 
my sister had this feeling like she should look him up. So she yeah. did. And, and he was gone. He had, he had passed in June and he had, he had passed. He had like, they had him down as no next of kin. So by the time we found out about it, he was not only gone, he was cremated and his remains were buried in a cemetery in Surrey. Mm. So, and it's taken a long time. I'm not going to get deep into it, but you know, as, as you know, you know, I've talked about it. It like, it took, it, it affected me more than I expected. You yeah. know, like, cause again, I didn't have a relationship with him, you know, and the memories I do have of him are not positive. Yeah. But still, you know, it, it, it had an impact. And my sister got in touch with a couple, with me a couple days ago, I guess maybe a couple weeks ago now, and she'd had a dream. And in that dream, her, me and my mother were walking near the Catholic church in Revelstoke. And in that dream, she got a text message from my dad. Now in, in, in real life, they didn't have each other's numbers. Uh, they had been in touch more recently than he and I had, but they were not in regular contact. Hmm. But he, the message said, are you getting my messages? Sarah, I know you're listening and I, I think I'm getting the wording a little bit wrong, but are you getting my messages? I don't think anyone's getting my messages. No one seems to be getting my messages. And it was a very odd, obviously very odd dream, hmm. you know, because none of us had dreamed about him since he passed. And... It was, like, it gives me chills just thinking about it, you know, and, and it makes me think that there's something more at play there than just a dream, hmm. you know, like there is some kind of, you know, maybe he's out there and cause, you know, he, again, I found out later he was living in a halfway house and I, I spoke with a woman who, who runs a halfway house and, you know, she's very, very sweet lady, fair, I mean, tough, but, but very, very, very kind. And, you know, she said that he had cleaned himself up by the end, but the years of abuse had done a lot to his body and, um, he died of a heart attack, uh, brought on by, by cancer basically. Mm. And so, but I think he was still working his way through a lot of his problems when he passed, you know, from what it sounded like he was working on it, but you know, he, he was the kind of person who could never really take responsibility for the mistakes he made. Mm. And so I, I think when he passed, I almost wonder if it was in a state of almost confusion. Yeah. You know, cause he was a, again, kind of guy who was always waiting for his life to start, I think. Mm. And so if you're always waiting for your life to start and then suddenly it's over. And I know she told me this woman from the halfway house, I asked her, I said, did he have any hobbies? Cause again, I, I didn't know him. And she said, not really. She said, he just liked playing. He had a little laptop and he liked playing Facebook games basically. And the reason I mention that is because, again, I think it's relevant if this is an actual communication. I think it's relevant that for him, the laptop was his way of connecting to the world. Mm -hmm. You know, messages was how he connected to people because he had, he didn't, he didn't have in person. I mean, he did have a friend and apparently the people he lived with in the halfway house, you know, they liked him well enough, but you know, the people, everyone beyond him, everyone beyond his immediate circle he can only reach them through the computer, through messages. Hmm. And I wonder again, if maybe confusion when you pass, the only way you know to connect with people is this way. If this is how he tries to reach out, you know? Hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 but it's, I, I think it's definitely worth considering that you're not, that you're talking to more than just your own head when you have these dreams. And to, again, if they give you some kind of information, I think, you know, it doesn't hurt to, doesn't hurt to act on it. Exactly. What's the worst that could happen? 
Well, okay. I mean, we, you and I have both seen enough horror movies to know that's not a question we should be asking. <laughs> Panther from Tracy. I've been listening to your incredible podcast for a couple of months now, and wow, the Ghost Story Guys is number one in my books. I've just joined your Patreon community and can't wait to dig around in all those goodies. I heard you requesting listener accounts of supernatural dreams in the last episode, Mysteries of Missing Time. Since childhood, I have always been very sensitive and open, and one of the abilities I have is prophetic dreaming and daytime visions. They've always come true in one manner or another, if not at most detail by detail. Unfortunately, I often feel like Cassandra in Greek mythology, fated to utter true prophecies, but never to be believed. So only when I have a dream or vision that I feel anxiety over, over the imminent concern of another's safety or well-being do I share, because over the years I've grown tired of the raised eyebrows and scoffs. One such dream I had that I will always remember, primarily because my mum, who is now in her 80s, still recounts it as it struck her profoundly at the time, and she has never let it go. I was around 11 years old, and was having a sleepover at a friend's house in town. My family lived just on the outskirts of town in a countryside subdivision that had yet to be fully developed, so the few who lived out there were surrounded by cow farms and bushes loaded with wildlife. We had a young black cat named Panther, who I brought home as a stray. He was my finder's keeper's pet, and we had two dogs, one toy poodle named Coco, and a lovable big mutt named Monami, who was also a rescue. That night at my friend's sleepover, I had a very vivid dream that felt like I was right there in real time, witnessing the entire event. In my dream, Monami and Panther were playing outside, chasing each other. Suddenly, Panther took off across our yard. We had two acres, so he and Monami had a good length to run the street that ran between us and our neighbour's yard. In the dream, I was in my same nightgown I was wearing at the sleepover, and I ran after my pets, but I couldn't keep up. In my dream, I changed from running behind them to seeing them from over top, like I was floating above them. From that vantage point, I witnessed Monami overtake Panther's lead, and now the cat was chasing the dog through our neighbour's backyard and across the side road that ran between the back of the neighbour's house and the farm across the road. As Monami ran across the dirt road, a truck zoomed between my pets. Monami barely made it across, but Panther got nailed by the truck. Horrifically, he was thrown up into the air and landed back in the ditch, where I watched him curl up in pain and die. I woke up screaming, literally. My friend bolted awake and did her best to calm me, promising me that Panther and Monami were both okay, and I'd happily see them later that day when I'd get home. I wanted to call home and have my parents come and get me right then, but my friend and her parents talked me into staying, having a nice breakfast and kept assuring me that it was just a terrible dream and everything was alright. In my gut I knew Panther was gone. I had seen it and I could feel it. But not being able to go home right away, I did my best to come to terms with losing him and try to stay in the moment of enjoying my friend's family time. About mid-morning my mum called and spoke to me. 
She said that my dad was coming to pick me up and that they were sorry for cutting my day off short at my friend's house, that something had happened and they wanted me home. My stomach twisted and I asked my mum to tell me, but she said she didn't want to say any more over the phone. So I piped up and said, It's Panther, isn't it? He's dead, right? My mum's shocked silence confirmed what I knew, but all she said was that we'd talk about it once I got home. I cried all the way home with my dad trying to console me. Once home, he and my mum told me that our neighbour had found Panther earlier that morning in the ditch by the side road. Panther had been hit by a vehicle sometime in the night and died, curled up like he was sleeping. Our neighbour recognised our cat and got my dad, and together they buried Panther where he lay. I then told my parents my dream as I had had it, detail by detail. They always knew I had gifts, but that was definitely the moment that stunned them. Keep up your amazing work. I absolutely love and appreciate your dedication to bringing the world such a top-notch, incredible podcast. Thanks again for all that you do. Oh, Tracy, that's that's heartbreaking. I'm, I mean, thank you for sharing that. But oh God, I, you know, man, I think about this all the time because you know, even when I was in Victoria, and you know, obviously, I see the cats every day, and when we, when Nick and I FaceTime, but I, you know, I we we got these raccoons that hang mm-hmm. out in our, kind of near our building. And every now and again, one of our dumbass cats just starts running at one of them. And I just live in fear of something like that happening. And I think if I had that dream, Jesus, it would just break me. Mm. There have been times where my, my dipshit brain, I'll just look at the cat. I'll look at Chewy. Who's, you know, she's old. She's old now. She's 14, I think. And I'll just have this moment where I think one day I'm going to take her to the vet and she's not going to come home. Mm. And I just go to pieces and I think, why? Why do I do this to myself? What is wrong with me? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly how that feels. Strangely enough, I was with friends who's recently lost their, their rescue greyhound. It was a beautiful dog called Kitty. Ah. And uh, I mean, amazing work that people adopt animals in shelters because there's far too many animals. Oh, yeah. Left in shelters. And I don't know what it's like over your side of the pond, but obviously here we've had a massive spike of pets being given up from people that just thought that the best way to deal with the pandemic was to take in a pet. Now they don't want it anymore. Oh, I've, I've heard about this happening. I, I haven't been to a shelter in a couple of years, but mm. I've heard that it's happening. It, again, breaks my heart. Yeah. So we were talking about that. And um, when I lost my beloved Rolf, um, he passed in my arms. I had to have him put to sleep as I held him, which is one of the worst things you can ever go through. And I've lost a lot in life, but not much comes close to losing a beloved pet. I'll say that for anybody that's gone through that. It is awful. And it's five years ago and the grief is still squirreled away inside of me. So uh, it's a, a very emotive and powerful dream from Tracy. Yeah. You know, I think every now and again, I'll, I'll encounter someone or I'll hear a story where someone is greeted with incredulity when they mention that they were grieving the loss of a pet. Mm-hmm. This person will say to them, well, it's just a pet. And I think, what is missing in your soul? <laughs> yeah. For, I mean, if you think that, I mean, fine, I guess. I still think mm, there's something a little fucked up. But for you to say that to someone else who's grieving, I, that seems crazy pants to me. But then I, you know, I think about this woman who picked me up once when I was hitchhiking a long time ago, this, uh, this older lady, I can't remember where she picked me up, but we got talking and, and now I, I was hitchhiking around 2000, 
yeah, 2005, 2006. And uh, you know, a lot of it was my grandfather had passed and he and I were very close, you know, in the absence of my own dad, my grandfather sort of filled that role. Yep. So when he died of cancer that year, it, it was really destabilizing for me. And you know, people pitch, pick up hitchhikers because generally speaking, because if they got something on their mind, they want to talk. That, that was my experience. Hmm. And so this woman, she told me, she said, you know, she had accidentally, it wasn't her fault. These guys were driving irresponsibly, but she had killed two motorcyclists hmm. while driving. You know, they had, they were dicking around on the road and her car had collided with them and she was okay, but they died. And, and you could tell like she just wore that yeah. every day. And you know, so I, you do the thing where she tells you, you know, this is why I'm fucked up and on the road. Why are you fucked up and on the road? And so I, I mentioned that, you know, um, which, and of course it was not a one-to-one at all, but you just talk about these things. So I mentioned, you know, my grandfather had passed and hmm. some other stuff had gone on. And she said to me, she said, you know, she said, if I had met you two years ago, she said, I, you know, even with, given what I'd been through with those cyclists, she said, I would have said, well, you know, old people die. That's what they do. Hmm. And she said, and then I lost my mom last year. Yeah. And she said, I just, it just, it just busted my world in half. Mm. And she said, I get it now. Yeah. And maybe that's what it takes. You know, we talk about the paranormal doesn't make sense until you've had your own experience. You just can't explain it to someone. Mm. And maybe it's the same thing with stuff like this until you've had a, a Rolf, until you've had a Chewy, you know, you can't know what it's like to lose them. Mm. Yeah. I'm always very uh, dismissive of anybody that tries to put time limits or sensibilities when it comes to grief, regardless of whether it's about a beloved pet or a, a friend or a family member. You know, it's 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 not your grief. You don't get to decide how long I feel like this for. So no, 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 no. Grief, grief is like grief is like the sea. Sometimes the waves are bigger than others. Yep, but it never really goes all the way away. It's it's there. And any, the the slightest thing can, can bring it roaring back. And that's just the nature of grief, man. Yeah, it certainly is. It's always there. It's just sometimes it causes less of a problem than it did at first. I can't remember where I read this. They said, grief never gets smaller. We just grow around it. Yeah. And I think that's probably the best way to put it. Absolutely. So thank you so much for sharing that with us, Tracy. Beautiful. The Academy, from Anonymous. I just listened to your latest episode on Chicago, and when you mentioned the experience and dream you had, I also have had a similar experience. Four years ago, I was a recruit for the blank state police here in the U.S. I had to live at the Academy building for 20 weeks, Sunday through Friday. The building is old and eight stories high. Each floor above the second level is used for housing the recruits. I was one of three females, and we had the sixth floor. It was always joked about that the place was haunted, but I never really cared enough because it was exhausting going through training. One thing that was really creepy was the elevator would randomly open, and it only happened on our floor. I could easily dismiss that just for being bad electrical, but after I had my experience, it made it more creepy. There are two beds in each room, but with there being three girls, we would rotate, so every other week one of us would have our own room. The room closest to the elevator was a solo room. One night after we went to bed, I had a weird dream that someone was standing in my room watching me sleep. I woke up because of it and looked toward the corner of the room by the door and there was a pitch black shadow figure. I sat up and it was gone. I remember feeling very uncomfortable after that and struggled to fall back asleep. 
This was never an issue in the other room, and most days I was so exhausted I don't even think I dreamed. A few weeks after that experience, I had to stay on the floor in the same room by myself. I was the only female in my squad, and the other squad was allowed to go home early, but my squad had to stay and do some training on the drive track. I was literally alone on the sixth floor for a whole night. It was late, and the rules were a little more relaxed, so I chose to go to bed early. As I was walking back to my room, I saw a figure walking parallel with me. To explain the layout of the place, it was a big square, with five to six rooms on each of three sides, elevator on one side with a bathroom and shower in the middle of the square. Something was walking with me back to my room, but was on the other side of the square. The second I looked over that way, it was gone again. I don't think it was my own shadow, but I could have just been spooked. Other times, I would hear footsteps walking around at night outside my door, and when I asked the staff if they were doing a night check, they would deny it. Creepy, but they could also just have been lying. Staff is known to walk around at night to check on recruits and make sure no one was getting into trouble. There are many reasons why I hate the training academy, but these experiences are at the top. And Anonymous, thank you so much for sharing that. I, you know, I, it always sounds great when you, when you hear, oh, I get a whole floor of this place to myself. And I, in my experience, it never, it never works out like that. Cause I, I remember being in a hostel in Dublin, or sorry, in Donegal. And I had the whole place to myself. It was just me that one night. And I thought, hell yeah, this is baller. I got the whole goddamn hostel. All right. I was singing. I was, you know, just having a good old time. And then after a little while, it started to feel like, eh, maybe I shouldn't be singing so loud. <laughs> it was almost like there was someone else there mm. and they did not appreciate my noise. Mm. And I remember the same thing happened to me years ago in, uh, oh fuck, Butte, Montana. Mm. I stayed at this B&B called the, uh, the Copper King Mansion. And it was this, yeah, dilapidated old manor house in downtown Butte. And, uh, I, I was the only guest that night in this whole <laughs> place. The, and the brother and sister who ran the place were you know, quite old and they lived in sort of a side house that was sort of like a, like a servant's quarters almost. Mm. So in the main house was just me. And this was a very grand old house with big doors, huge ornate mirrors, which I tell you in the dark, you do not want to spend a lot of time looking at one of those things. No. <laughs> I nearly shit my, I spent about four o'clock in the morning. I finally just gave up and I left. <laughs> I just left. And later on, I found out it was indeed haunted, mm. you know, but at the time, this was again, long, long time ago for me. It wasn't, it wasn't 2008. This was been maybe 2011 or 2012, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's never as fun as you think. Yeah, I've just done a done an interview where we dive into some haunted hotels with uh, Kevin Lee Nelson. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, he spends every Halloween in a particularly haunted hotel in Wisconsin, and he is the only person that stays there for a couple of days. Really? Hmm. Oh, that that requires a greater fortitude than I have. Did he talk? I mean, obviously, we'll hear about it on the show, but is things happen? I assume. Yes. Yeah, he was woken at 3 a.m. by a door slamming. Oof. And uh, there was no one else in the hotel. It was all locked. He was the only person there. Holy shit. I remember when my friend Mike and I, we uh, stayed at the Lizzie Borden house. Mm. We were talking to the, the, the guide and he said, oh yeah, because it was, uh, he said, you guys picked a great night because the, 
uh, anniversary of the Borden's death, every year the same guy books out the whole house just to himself. Hmm. And I can't imagine what that costs because at the time, a single room was 250 bucks. Hmm. So, the, the, and there are, I don't know, five or six, like this, this is a, a multi-thousand dollar project this yeah. guy does, but apparently every year this dude is just alone in that house and that place is haunted to shit. Yeah. So I, I don't know, man. <laughs> you ever had a whole place to yourself when you stayed somewhere aside from like a, like an Airbnb or something? I've had a whole nightclub to myself. There is that? Three floors. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, I mean, I've been alone in a bar, but not, not the, the, uh, the cavern of bars. Yeah. And all, the, the only, the only lights we had on, well, it's like when you lock up as well in a nightclub, you're usually the last person out. There's nobody else there. And the only thing you've got is the occasional glow of the pumps or something, just illuminating the shadows and the strangeness that dances around on the outskirts of your visible sight. Poof. No, sir. I don't like it. Mm. It was quite funny sometimes. I mean, we once had to go back because someone had crawled under one of the seats and fallen asleep <laughs> and woke up at 5 a.m. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Wondering about, oh, drunk and lost. I, I once heard a story from some, about a guy, this famous drunk back home, uh, famous within town, of course, mm. but uh, everyone went on a curling trip and they were supposed to meet up at a certain place. And so he went into the bar and there was no one around. So he just, well, finally, he's like, I'm tired of waiting. So he went and poured himself a beer, drank it. No one came out. So went and pulled himself another beer, drank it. And after a little while, he thought, well, this, well, I don't know what the hell is going on here. And uh, I think he called this, this was like early, early cell phone. So he called, the, he used the, the bar phone to call his buddy's cell phone. And he, on the other end, he hears the sounds of a bar. And uh, he says, where, where the hell are you guys? And they said, where the hell are you? And he said, well, I'm in the bar. I've been in the bar this whole goddamn time. I, you know, there's no one around here. It's, it's eerie as hell. I just keep having beers. At some point, I'm going to have to pay for them, but no one's here to, to take my money. And they said, look out the window, man. And he looked out the window. They were in the bar across the street. He was in another bar. He got the address more or less right, just the wrong side of the street. But whoever ran that place had forgotten to shut, had forgotten to lock the door. So he just... <laughs> Spent, I don't know, two hours drinking on the arm in this <laughs> totally empty bar. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, yeah some, some days it just works, man. <laughs> Revolver. When I was seven or eight years old and my family was still living in our home country of Germany, I had a very memorable dream. In it. I was walking through an empty house that had bare white walls and different coloured carpets in every room. Behind one door, I found a set of stairs which led down into darkness. Above these stairs was a small cupboard. I opened it, and inside was a revolver. I picked it up and began slowly walking down the stairs. It was then that I woke up in a cold sweat. Three or four years later, my father's work led us to relocating to the American Midwest in a surprisingly large home, relative to what I was used to in Germany, with two floors and a full basement. Our first night there, we arrived late ahead of our furniture, so we all slept on the floor. I've always been an early riser, and sleeping on the floor did nothing to make me want to change that, so I got up ahead of everyone and decided to explore. As I began to walk around, 
a strange feeling began to creep over me. An empty house with white walls and different coloured carpets. Suddenly, I remembered the dream. It couldn't be, and yet everything was so similar. I decided to look for the door which should lead to the basement, and sure enough, there it was. Cautiously, I opened the door, and sure enough, behind it was a stairwell leading down into the darkness. As that profound sense of unreality continued to wash over me, I looked up from the darkness to see that there was also a cupboard. And there was. The only difference was that this cupboard had a rusty old latch which wouldn't budge. My family was still asleep, but my father had brought with him his toolkit in case anything needed immediate repair upon our arrival. So I went and fetched the hammer and then set about breaking the old latch. The noise woke everyone up, of course, and they arrived to see what the hell I was doing just in time for me to open the cabinet. By this point, it won't surprise you to know that inside the cupboard was a revolver. This one was much older and more beat up than the one in my dream, but it was a revolver nonetheless. I've never been able to explain to my family how I knew there would be a gun there. I, I, I can answer this one because it's America. <laughs> guys this isn't a criticism because i've shot guns i enjoy shooting i enjoy you know target shooting it's fun but we just kind of assume you know because we're not from america that uh you know they, they just you find them randomly like like uh power-ups in a video game <laughs> you know you push on enough walls one of them's gonna open and behind it is a gun be interesting to see what would have happened because obviously in the dream he picked the gun up and walked off so Oh, if he'd gone downstairs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. This one is, is a great example of something that, that I kind of love, which is possibly just mundane moments that you dream about. Mm. You know, I mean, finding a gun, I mean, that's significant, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, I have never randomly stumbled upon a firearm in the wild. Yeah. So I've found many strange things where I've obviously not stumbled across that. I once found a pair of knickers under a hedge. I... Once found a, a stained old mattress out in the desert that also had some underwear strewn around it. And, uh, yeah, I got out of there real quick. Yes. Yes. It was New Year's Day. So, um, not sure how that particular person saw the new year in, but, uh, when you're a 13 year old boy, it was clearly a very exciting moment. <laughs> I hope they had fun. Yes. Yes. And then about 10 yards away, I then found 20 pounds. Wow. Okay. Which in 1985 was like winning the lottery. I'll be honest with you, Paul, if I find 20 bucks on the ground now, it's like winning the lottery. <laughs> Paying two rents is killing me. <laughs> killing me, I say. <laughs> <laughs> and the only thing that annoyed me was it was New Year's Day. And in those days, no shop was open. Oh, of course. Yeah. You, it's funny. I, I always expect... Even now you guys have slightly, well, mind you, I haven't been there in a long time, but you guys have very different practices here. You know, like when I, the night I got married or the night before I got married, we, we all, you know, some of Nick's friends took me out to the bar and got me loaded. And I sort of assumed that there would be a cab I could just take home after the end of the night, you know, but it turns out in, in rural England, at least in 2008 at uh, one in the morning, there is no one, everyone is in bed. And, uh, this was just, that was very shocking to young Bren, who was not expecting that. 
and then had to walk about four miles home to the cabin way off in Ding Dong, uh, in, uh, near Penzance, I believe. <laughs> and, uh, the whole time, the whole family was wondering where I'd gone. Cause by this point it was like four in the morning and Bren wasn't home yet. And the, mar- the wedding was tomorrow. That <laughs> uh, was the whole thing. Anyways. Yeah. Thinking the hairy hands would have got you. Hairy hands? Yeah, they've got a ghostly legend that neck of the woods of hairy hands that force drivers off the road. Really? Mm. In like specifically Penzance or, or specifically Ding Dong? Uh, around that area of Cornwall, there's a few stories about that. Also, a terrifyingly frightening encounter about a woman who saw the hands climbing up her caravan window in the middle of the night. Which is not a story to read as an eight-year-old on holiday in a caravan in Wales. I'll tell you that for nothing. <laughs> ah, the story of Paul Bessel is starting to make a lot of sense. <laughs> That's a superhero origin story right there. Yes. Thank you. Press that tin. The Tin from Anonymous. Over the years, I've had an interesting relationship to dreams. I've never claimed to be psychic or some other chosen one bullshit, but since I was a kid, I've been able to lucid dream change dreams in the middle of them, like changing a channel, if I don't like them, return to a dream after waking up in the middle of a good one, etc. Now in my artistic process, I often take intention-based naps. When I have a creative issue, I'll stop what I'm doing, lay down while thinking about the problem, and take an hour nap. Once I wake up, I'll often have dreamt the solution to the creative problem I'm having, and this has driven my work in countless ways for years, from simple things like design concepts, to envisioning the entire structure to make objects float on camera, for a short film I wrote and directed. Anyway, when I was young, my mom had a friend whose husband had an incredibly hard life. Everything they had was the result of his hands. He built their house. He grew all of their food in his garden. He heated their home in the winter with wood he chopped from trees that had fallen in their yard. I know a lot of people wax poetic about returning to this kind of life, but for his family, their lifestyle was out of necessity rather than some cottagecore wet dream. Whenever I would see him, he was very somber and quiet hardworking, but worn down. He was a proud man, for better or for worse, and I had never seen him smile or heard him laugh. When I was a teenager, he was diagnosed with an aggressive cancer and passed away shortly thereafter. Years later, I was living in New York City, going to art school, working in galleries, and being so stressed about work and school and deadlines. I wasn't able to concentrate or think about anything else, especially not someone that I had known as a child that passed away years before. One evening, I dreamt I had driven to their home, and as my car was pulling into the driveway, he was running up to my car to greet me. He was smiling and welcoming to me, giving me hugs and dancing and doing cartwheels as he walked me into their home. Once we got inside, I saw his wife sitting on their couch, her face in her hands, devastated and sobbing. He was dancing around her and laughing and telling jokes, things I had never seen or heard him do in my life, and I remember thinking this while experiencing the dream. He turned to me, looked directly in my eyes and said, I don't know why she's so sad. Tell her I'm still right here and I've never been happier or felt better in my entire life. Please tell her that. Whatever she needs, all she has to do is ask. As soon as he said that, I woke up. I typed the dream on my laptop so I wouldn't forget, but it was so vivid I never forgot it. The next morning I called my mom and told her about the dream. She said she would check on his wife, who she was still friends with. A day or two later, my mom called me and said that she had spoken to her friend the day I had told her about the dream, and she was really happy to hear about it. She had been having a particularly rough time, missing him, crying every day, and 
struggling financially. After my mom spoke to her, she walked into the living room and said, I love you, I miss you, and I'm glad you're happy, but if you're here, I could really use your help right now. That night, walking down the stairs to the basement to get more wood for the wood stove, she saw a coffee tin in the shelves above the stairs she hadn't noticed before and felt the need to open it. She pulled it down and opened it while sitting on her couch next to the stove to find that she had found her husband's savings. All of the cash he had stashed away over the years tightly packed into this coffee tin, despite members of her family searching the entire house for his savings when he first passed away and never finding anything. Over the years, I've struggled to define what I believe and don't believe about whatever this existence is that we're collectively experiencing, but some things feel too convenient to be coincidence. I hope you're both well, and I look forward to hearing more from you. And so again, Anonymous, thank you so much. And I, I sent them an email separately to see whether we could identify them on air and they asked not to be identified. But you know, Paul, the first time I read that story, I got really emotional. I find stories like that where it seems that somebody's taken a very long-winded route to get a message to somebody that needs it. Fascinating. Because why don't they just go directly to the source? Yeah. Yeah. Or is it the fact that, you know, I'm pulling things out of the air. Is it sometimes that perhaps due to her grief, she was unwilling to accept the message or that there was some reason that he couldn't go directly to her to tell her and it had to come this way? Because going to the son of a friend seems like the last person you'd appear to to explain this story to or to pass a message on on your behalf. I think about that sometimes and I think... I think there's a couple different factors involved, but, or pardon me, I think there could be a couple different factors involved, but I wonder if it goes back to something we've talked about before, which is this notion that not everyone is able to perceive these things the same way mm -hmm. and not everyone is able to perceive these things. Mm -hmm. You know, this, th that like anonymous clearly has a very strong relationship with dreaming. Yeah. You know, they, they mm -hmm. are, they are able to, to cultivate it in a way that I know anonymous, and you may know this, you may not, but that is a very uncommon thing. Yeah. Uh, a very close friend of mine, they can do that. They can, if they're having a bad dream, they can turn it off. They can just change the channel and they can make it change. I generally can't do that in my dreams. Mm. You know, there have been a handful of times where I can make small scale changes, but never to the degree that my friend or anonymous are talking about. So I, I think cultivating that relationship with dream, I think it makes them burn brighter. And I wonder if there is a sort of a web, you know, this, this invisible web in a way that connects us, not, not like literally, but you know, mm -hmm. and you sort of, you look, you go along, you go outward until you find a light bright enough to mm -hmm. be able to reach. Yeah. And yeah. then you just hope that they convey your message. And that's such a fraught thing, man. That's such a fraught thing. I mean, kudos to you anonymous for doing it. Because yeah. obviously this really made a difference in someone's life, but man, I would struggle with that. I have struggled with that. Years ago, I had a dream about a high school friend of mine and uh, he was in some trouble. He was just, he was, he was upset. He was, he was upset. And now I hadn't seen him in, I don't know, at this point it would have been 10 years since I left high school. 10, yeah, maybe, no, wouldn't have been 10 years. No, yeah, sorry, 10 years, would have been about 10, 11 years. Um, and we weren't close, close, but we were friendly back then, hmm. but he was really upset. And, and he, I knew for a fact that he lived in Victoria, even though we weren't in touch, I knew he lived in Victoria 
And I almost reached out. I almost reached out and I almost regret not doing it. But at the time I still, I couldn't wrap my head around this idea that maybe this might be okay. Maybe this person Mm. actually is bummed out and some, and needs someone, but I just, it was too out there for me. I couldn't do it because I wasn't sure how it would be received. Yeah. But I, I know Nikki's had dreams where there was one in particular, a friend of hers, she bumped into a friend of hers who was carrying papers and she was helping her. She, the friend dropped the paper. So she was helping the friend pick these papers up. And it turned out that the friend was, uh, very, in the dream, they were very stressed. And it turned out that in real life, Nick actually did reach out to her just because they hadn't spoken in a long time. And she didn't mention the dream. She just got in touch. And it turned out, no, this woman was actually, um, in the dream, there was something on the paperwork about, about a transfer of a property. Mm. And in real life, she was, she'd just been having not a great time. And part of that was because she was dealing with some property left to her by a deceased family member, but they were having some difficulties transferring. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating stuff, but again, it's so hard to let go and to just accept that, okay, you know, maybe this is a real thing. How do I get in touch in a way that's not weird? I suppose the other aspect of this, you could look at it from the other side and think to make sure that the message was listened to, you would go via such a route because coming from someone you probably aren't that close to, I suppose would make the message more powerful. That's true. Yeah, that's very, yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about it like that. So I, I just don't know. It's, it's an incredible story regardless. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this person, you know, this person is a very popular artist and again, they've, they've asked to remain anonymous, but they, this person is, is a very, very talented person. Certainly beats the last dream I remember, which was just frankly odd. Now I must know. I was in, I was, I was in a mine cart. Okay. Going somewhere with some people who I think I went to school with, but I can't remember, really remember them. And as we were going along, bits kept falling off the roof and hitting me on the head. I was like, bloody hell, oh, this is really getting on my nerves, like bits of wood and stuff. And, <laughs> and then the next thing, we were walking around this hotel and I'd lost my trousers. Okay. <laughs> and I was walking around going, where's my trousers? And everybody started looking for my trousers with me. I mean, it seems like an inspiring part of the dream that everyone helped you find your trousers. Yes. But and, and we got there and then my trousers were missing. And then I went, oh, where, where have my trousers gone? <laughs> my trousers have disappeared. <laughs> and so we went looking for them and then I woke up. Interesting. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> I think that, that okay. Do you, you want to know what I think it means? Yeah. <laughs> my, 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 my tin pot psychology uh, dream <laughs> interpretation here. I'm going to crack my knuckles. I think that means that you were on a wild ride and it wasn't a sustainable ride. So you got out and you were like, fuck, uh, you felt it, and it, you, you, it, the, like, I don't have my trousers. I'm like, I'm exposed. And this is, this is scary and people are going to have issue with this. But instead of taking issue with it, people just helped you find your trousers. Hmm. So that's you, a lot deeper than I was anticipating. <laughs> I don't fuck around with dreams, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I think it, I think that's an expression of, of like exposure, you, exp- you were exposed, you know, and you thought, okay, 
uh, I don't I don't know where my trousers are. And again, instead of people pointing fun, they just helped you find your trousers. Mm. You found your trouser people. Which is always a good thing. Yeah. You got you to find your trouser people. Yeah. They're certainly more helpful than the wall people. <laughs> oh, the wall people. Yes. Spend enough time on Instagram, folks. You'll know who the wall people are. Mm. Nobody wants to know who the wall people are. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so I... um. I, 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 in that in that vein, I will share a dream of mine. And this is from my dream. I, I keep I, when I remember, I, I I write them down after I've had a dream, and this is weird. So, folks, if you want to tune out now, tune out now. Not sex stuff. Weird, just like you know, weird. Standing in an office mall when I see a triangular cardboard tube, done colored with red writing, it's maybe as long as my thumb. A narrator says, this is a machine. Shake one out of the package, place it anywhere, and watch it grow. I do this, shaking one out onto the ledge of one of the glass walls that separate the businesses in the mall. It looks like a metal tube with a red knob at one end. The narrator tells me to return to it either the next day or two days later. I close a door. When I open it again two days hence, my grandfather is alive and he's shopping for groceries. It's an old school store where everything is recorded by hand and he pays a bill at the end of the month. He is shopping for my grandmother for a big dinner she's making, but I find myself doubting that she can cook it because by this point she must be old and frail. We're at the checkout and my grandfather collects his groceries as an older woman with shoulder-length curly black hair tallies everything. There is a window behind the woman looking outside. It's sunny. My grandfather can't carry everything, so he asks me to carry some things, but I'm not totally sure which groceries are his. Somehow I know it doesn't matter, but for some reason I've become fixated on the idea that there is no way my grandmother can cook this meal and it's like I'm pointing things out to him which would make this unavoidable. Left on the shelf are two loaves of bread and a pack of hot dogs. I ask if I should take it all, and he agrees, but then I remind him he, is, he already has bread. It's like I'm trying to trip him up. He looks confused and then asks me to just take the hot dogs and less bread. Again, I know it doesn't matter, that even if I took everything there, he could pay the bill at the end of the month, but I still had to press the point. We leave, and because my hands are full, a crumpled up lottery ticket falls from my hands. It has the true date on it, which would prove to everyone that this is a construct, and I'm trying to convince my father not to pick it up. I know it's not a winner, and the damage that trying to cash it will do. He ignores me and grabs it, walking up to the lotto kiosk and demanding to see if it's a winner. The man behind the kiosk class at first refuses, but my father insists it is his, that it is his right, so the man runs the ticket. There is a perspective change, and my father is a cartoon pig. In slow motion, someone picks him up and brings his face to the monitor, whereupon he sees the true date, which means the dream has to end. Again, I'm standing in the business mall looking at the triangular cardboard tube. The narrator tells me to take one and leave it out for someone else to find, so I do, shaking it out to see a kind of insect like a slightly larger than normal grasshopper. The narrator tells me that this machine proves that we are all automatons, and that higher ideals or the notions of life after death are nothing but stories. You're only supposed to shake out one of these things, but instead I shake out all three in the tube and at least one of them flutters apart. I turn to leave. Instead of a door, there is a window, and at first it seems like the part through which I'm expected to leave is quite small, so I kneel and start to open it. But then I realize the window is made of many cubes which can be pushed out of the way. I find myself thinking that maybe in time, people will lose their obsession with the grasshopper machines, and there will be room for mystery again. But an internal voice asks, if the machines prove what they prove, it doesn't matter if they go out of vogue. True is true. But are they right? I look at the pieces of one of them which fluttered apart. I leave through the window.
You are now leaving the Twilight Zone. Right? (laughs) Yeah. I have no concept of any of this kind of thing, so I have no idea what to say there. No, that's okay. uh, (laughs) It's pretty self-explanatory to me. Um, I sort of... It's like when people try to talk to me about cars. (laughs) Oh, yes. My friend and I used to just open my hood and we'd just... Stand there saying auto trader, auto trader, auto trader, you know. Nice spark plugs. Yep. It's got a lot of room rooms. How's your transmission? Okay, now it's sounding like a sex thing. <laughs> yeah. I just I just go pale and my face glazes over. <laughs> well, as I say, I thought I thought we you shared you shared one which was I think a pretty impersonal dream. So I, I thought I would share one of mine, which I, I think I mean again I I get it. Um, as much as, it, as much as there is to get, as it relates to me, um, and I, perhaps some of our listeners will as well. I'm not going to go into it because again, it is deeply personal, but, um, I think some of the things I've talked about on the show, it will make a kind of sense. So, hmm. but, uh, yeah, that was the first half of our dreams episode. It's gonna be hard to follow this one up, Paul. So, uh, eh, fuck it. We're still going to try. I'm sure we've got something up our sleeves. We always do. Hmm. All right, folks. Thank you so much to everyone who sent us stories. Again, if you want to send us stories to the next dream episode, you got two weeks to do it. I guess you got about 10 days to do it. Send it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Send it either as an email, or if you want to record a voice note on your phone or on your computer and email that, you can do that too, and we'll play it on the show. Yes. Especially if you've also been hunting for Bigfoot with a 90s star. Yeah, especially that, actually. Spare us the the boring ass stuff I said, but uh, (laughs) tell us about the Bigfoot hunting. Yeah, because if somebody else has had a dream like that, then I have no idea what that says about the universe. God, I hope she has. Just, I hope she has. <laughs> she's out there listening. Yeah, in San Diego or wherever. For, she's listening to the show somehow. Feruza, we know you. We know you're listening. <laughs> Tell us you had the Bigfoot hunting dream too. <laughs> we'll be right back. there listeners before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button i promise you this isn't an ad we wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health on this show i've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help and when you start to feel like there's no help it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be. It's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. 
In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. As always, thanks to Luke, Sarah, Anthony, Joseph, and everyone else who's part of the Ghost Story Guys family. Don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Luke Lore, now part of the Connected Podcasts Network. As we are too, we joined Connected. Uh, well, I guess I mean, I've been working with Connected uh, for several months now with Luke Lore, but Ghost Story Guys joined them, I guess, officially uh, October 24th. So we are now part of the Connected Podcast Network, and I'm uh, I'm excited about it. I, I like I like all the folks I've met so far. Everyone's really cool. It's nice working on the show uh, with other committed people who are excited about the format of podcasting. And uh, yeah, we're the only, I think we're the only paranormal show on there, but uh, still it's a good crew. And so big thanks to Steve and Eli for making that happen. Joseph is the host of the Cardinal Rule. That's a YouTube channel about Arizona Cardinals football. And he and I co-host the YouTube live show, which is monthly at the moment, Weird Together. And that is a monthly live show about the latest and greatest in independent horror film. And of course, thanks to you, my friend and co-host, the inimitable Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson himself, host of Mysteries and Monsters. Paul, what's coming up on Eminem? Oh, I've got some strange and interesting episodes coming up. I've got J. Allen Cross joining me, talking about how to use witchcraft on paranormal investigations and some of the entities and strange encounters he's had doing his work and then i shall be knocking it out of the park with several exclusive cryptid shows including richard freeman telling me about the compelling evidence and surprising discoveries from searching for the orang pandek last month in sumatra oh exciting mm. yes very exciting groundbreaking but perhaps not in a way that anybody expected. Oh, shit. Now I can't wait. Where can everyone find you online? You can find Mysteries and Monsters across all podcast platforms and on all social media networks, including some I still can't work. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. <laughs> I'm on Twitter and Instagram and now Hive and Mastodon as largely the truth. I... Much like Paul, I don't really do anything with those yet, but I am on there. And uh, with those two latter, at least. I'm actually trying not to be on the other ones too much anymore either. But uh, <laughs> you can find me there. You can find the uh, two seasons of my interview show, Largely the Truth with Brennan Store, everywhere. You get your podcasts. And my book, A Strange Little Place, The Paranormal Secrets of Revelstoke, British Columbia, is available now everywhere. Fine books are sold, but mostly just Amazon. And you can get that, again, at Amazon.com or any of the regional variations. We just added, uh, or we'll be adding two very, very lovely um, uh, blurbs, I guess, is the term. 
from a couple authors who I respect a great deal. So that'll be going in the uh, going in the uh, in the works. I think it should be out next week. That that uh, that update. But uh, yeah, so very very cool stuff. And again, you can find all of that uh, at well, my website, largelythetruth.com. As we said at the top of the show, if you want to become a patron of the show, we would love, love, love the support. Head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. And we have all kinds of tiers. Physical rewards are paused while I'm in Montreal, but once I'm back to Victoria, everyone who's still, who is still a patron will get the appropriate uh, physical rewards. And until then, you get access to our incredible library of recordings, which includes episodes of Me and Paul, Book of the Dead, Host Adventures, and uh, The Sunken Library, which is a show I'm very fond of. And those are still coming out. I mean, not right now, because as I'm sure you've heard throughout the show, I'm still recovering from my, my illness. But once that's all gone and out of the way, I will be back recording regular episodes of Book of the Dead, Host Adventures, and lots of other cool stuff. I've actually got two different sunken libraries kind of planned out. So it's a good time to sign up. And again, that's at patreon.com slash ghost story guys. So Paul, any appearances coming up for you? Yes, I'm currently on Mission Spooky's latest episode, talking about strange cryptids, strange creatures, and uh, the ghosts of Bigfoot. Fabulous. I will put a link to that at in the blog at ghoststoryguys.com. How long did the episode end up being at the end? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how long they've cut it down to, but the conversation lasted nearly four hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Mission Spooky, all right. Yeah, they were they were wonderful hosts, and we, I had a great time with them talking about all kinds of strange things, and they laughed a lot at my jokes, which was always deeply uh, pleasing. That's how you know folks are worth keeping around. <laughs> See? <laughs> Touche. Now we are we are big fans of Mission Spooky here. We they've been they've been with us, I think, since the very beginning. So uh, yeah, we'll put a link to that in the blog at ghoststoryguys.com, and we'll put it up on the socials as well. I was recently a guest on Jim Harold's Ghost Insight, which is one of his Plus Club shows, but we were able to put public links to that on our social media, so that was very kind of Jim. I enjoyed chatting to him. I was also a guest of Reeves Cook on the Paratalk podcast, and that was a really great conversation, and again, you can find that everywhere podcasts live. Just look for Paratalk, and you can also find a link again in the blog at ghoststoryguys.com. If you want to pick up any Ghost Story Guys gear, head to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. You'll find a link there to our Public and Redbubble stores. Uh, we're hoping, hoping sometime in the next month, might not be till after Christmas, we don't know. We're still, I'm still kind of hashing out the details, but we will be unveiling a new website which will incorporate a uh, merchandise portal into it. So you won't have to go to an outside site. You'll be buying it. It'll still be print on demand, so you won't be buying it necessarily. You know, we won't be making it but you can buy it directly from our website instead of having to go somewhere else. So that's still in the works, but for now, just head to ghoststoryguys.com and, and you'll find a link to everything you need. And I will be selling um, autograph copies of Strange as soon as my box of books arrives. So I will, I'll let you folks know when that happens. I know I've had some folks asking me. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're on Facebook, as, Facebook and Twitter as Ghost Story Guys, and we're on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys. And we're also on Reddit as r slash podcast. Shout out again to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of film journalist and composer Jerry Smith. Jerry's also recently composed the scores for feature films 
Puppet Master Dr. Death, and Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolarama 2, available now on the Full Moon streaming app. If you want to hire Jerry for your next project, send them an email at rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Goes, composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizanta Music. Find more from him by going to nightharvestrecordings.com or by searching for Pizanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Our stories theme is A Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you stream your music. Remember, that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. I guess that's going to do it. It certainly sounds it. So we'll be back in two weeks. But until then... Into the darkness we go. Yes, it also included some very memorable lines, including one moment where the hero is talking to his daughter. She's trying to convince him to go to Cornwall, and he just randomly says, I wish I'd drowned you at birth. <laughs> you know, just he's constantly cooking with chilies like he's trying to make his own sarin gas. <laughs> I, I often will uh, fuck things up when sending, as you know, when it's sending voice messages. So... Well, at least you've stopped sending me pictures, so it's all good. <laughs> temporarily. Temporarily. <laughs> I don't want to see glasses on that again. <laughs> I'm a futurist. I'm blazing trails. <laughs> yes, I'm blazing a trail to the therapist. <laughs> you know, we really should have sponsorship from BetterHelp, but I guess not. <laughs> that's, that's an ad I want to write. <laughs> Has your co-host texted you a picture of <laughs> Anyways, moving on. He's got an emu, I think, on a leash, walking down a street somewhere in Scotland, and somebody goes, hey, mate, is that an ostrich? And he goes, it's a fucking emu. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> of course. To be fair, I could tell the difference, but I'm strange. Yeah, agreed. I mean, sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> we beat them 17-0 burn the White House again yes it's coming so, home and so is Vermont <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna buy a little tripod so I can put the fucking camera on it so it's not hanging over my monitor because right, I can't read shit on my monitor right now because <laughs> I've got these two fucking tripod legs in front of it it's very annoying <laughs> I guess I could get a clip clip my anyways that's not relevant for now alright Oh, for motherfuck me. I think that might have been part of the script I'd moved to the dream episode. <laughs> okay, cut all that bit out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's called Another Life. That's coming up. I think I've had another life then. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was in the script for last week, and then that's before I, I split it into, uh, when I like pulled out all the dream stuff and put mm. it into this. Right, okay. and, and then I've actually now taken that and moved it into part two. <laughs> or was it just a dream? Or yeah, or is all that we see and seem mm. just a dream within a dream?